Lesson 2 for October 6 through to 12, Causes of Disunity. Sabbath afternoon, October 6. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're going to open your word again this week, and as we do, we do so with lives where we have had problems with people around us, people in our family, people in our community, people in our church, and even people we don't know. We pray that as we study this lesson, we may find something that tells us about why this happens and also what the solution is. We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us as we open each page of your word this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Let's read that again, Proverbs 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Old Testament prophets repeatedly called upon the people of Israel to obey God's instructions. Disobedience and carelessness would lead to apostasy and disunity. Obedience to God's laws was intended as a means to preserve the people from the natural consequences of sin and to sanctify them in the midst of many foreign nations. Following God's will would create harmony among the people and strengthen their community resolve to withstand the inroads of the pagan and evil worship practices that surrounded them from almost every direction. God's intention was for his people to be holy and to be a witness to the nations around them. As the Lord said to them after delivering the Hebrews from Egypt in Deuteronomy 4 verses 5 and 6, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded you, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely, this great nation is a wise and understanding people. No question, were they to remain faithful, his people would be greatly blessed and would have been a blessing to others. Unfaithfulness, though, would lead to a host of problems Disunity being just one of many. Sunday, October 7. Return, O backsliding children. The history of the people of Israel is filled with stories of disobedience and anarchy, followed by a return to God and obedience, and then followed again with more disobedience and conflicts. This pattern repeats itself again and again. Each time, God's people consciously followed His will. They were blessed with peace and life. Each time they disobeyed and followed their own ways, their lives became miserable, filled with wars and conflicts. Even before Israel entered the Promised Land, God had predicted this pattern and offered the solution to avoid such dire consequences to their existence. Question. Read Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 through to 14. 
What blessings would come to Israel if the people were obedient to God's will? Deuteronomy 28, beginning at verse 1. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause his enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath, if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and are careful to observe them. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or the left, to go after other gods, to serve them. And then read Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 14 through to 18. Return, O black-sliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds, according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Then it shall come to pass, when you are multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says the Lord, that they will say no more, The ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be made any more. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. In those days the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given as an inheritance to your fathers." What is amazing in the book of Jeremiah is how God is seen as loving, merciful and generous towards his people in spite of their rebellion, division and idolatry. God constantly is inviting his people to return to him and to repent from their wayward actions. Again and again, God promised restoration and hope for the future. 
Jeremiah 3, 12 and 13 reads, Return, backsliding Israel, says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. Jeremiah's words were spoken at a time of general neglect of God's word. Although some reforms were started in the time of King Josiah, most people felt no spiritual urge to continue in faithful obedience to God. Their sins, idolatry and self-centred lives were causing spiritual and political ruin. The more they regressed from doing God's will, the more dreadful would be their future prospects. Yet, through Jeremiah, God pleaded with them. God had a better future in mind for them, and he longed to bring them back to prosperity, unity and health. But this could come only if they would live by faith and all that true faith entails. And so to finish the day, what has the difference between obedience and disobedience meant in your own life? Monday, October 8, right in his own eyes. Stories from the book of Judges show the numerous negative consequences of Israel not following the Lord's will. Soon after Israel entered into Canaan, people began to pattern their spiritual lives on the false religions of the Canaanites surrounding them, exactly what they were told not to do. Unfortunately, that wasn't the only problem they were facing either. Question, read Judges 17, verse 6, and Judges 21, verse 25. What do these verses teach about more problems that arose among God's people? Judges 17, and verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And Judges 21, verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Talk about a recipe for division and disunity among God's people. The unity of the nation was to be found in their loyal obedience to the Lord of the Covenant, the covenant that they had entered into with God. By doing, however, what was right in their own eyes, especially as they were being influenced by the surrounding nations, they were on the sure road to disaster. We are all fallen beings, and if left to our own devices, if left to follow the inclinations of our hearts, we'll surely wander from the path that God wants us to walk on. Question. What do the following passages tell us about the spiritual and social conditions of Israel during the time of the Judges? First of all, Judges chapter 2, verses 11 through to 13. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook 
the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And Judges chapter 3, verses 5 through to 7. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and served the Baals and the Asherahs. From Prophets and Kings, page 20 and 21, we read, The Lord had, through Moses, set before his people the result of unfaithfulness. By refusing to keep his covenant, they would cut themselves off from the life of God and his blessing, which could not come upon them. At times, these warnings were heeded, and rich blessings were bestowed upon the Jewish nation and through them upon surrounding peoples. But more often in their history, they forgot God and lost sight of their high privilege as his representatives. They robbed him of the service he required of them, and they robbed their fellow men of religious guidance and a holy example. They desired to appropriate to themselves the fruits of the vineyard over which they had been made stewards, Their covetousness and greed caused them to be despised even by the heathen. Thus, the Gentile world was given occasion to misinterpret the character of God and the laws of his kingdom. So, to finish today, how do our own actions as a church impact those around us? What do they see in Seventh-day Adventists that would impress them in a positive manner? Tuesday, October 9, The Division of the Hebrew Nation The path of apostasy and its dire consequences didn't happen overnight. But the wrong choices and decisions that accumulated over the long centuries finally led to some terrible consequences for God's people. Question. Read the story of King Rehoboam in 1 Kings 12, verses 1 through to 16. What caused this terrible division among God's people? 1 Kings chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened, when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, and he said, How do you advise me to answer these people? 
And they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to these people today, and serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants for ever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him, and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly, and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfil his word, which the Lord had spoken to Ahijah the Silonite, to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Now, when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents. Ellen White writes in Prophets and Kings, page 90, Had Rehoboam and his inexperienced counsellors understood the divine will concerning Israel, they would have listened to the request of the people for decided reforms in the administration of the government. But, in the hour of opportunity that came to them during the meeting in Shechem, they failed to reason from cause to effect, and thus forever weakened their influence over a large number of the people. Their expressed determination to perpetuate and add to the oppression introduced during Solomon's reign was in direct conflict with God's plan for Israel, and gave the people ample occasion to doubt the sincerity of their motives. In this unwise and unfeeling attempt to exercise power, the king and his chosen counsellors revealed the pride of position and authority. Question. What do the following statements say about the need for wisdom in making the right decisions? Where is the source of true wisdom? Proverbs chapter 4 verses 1 through to 9. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender, and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words, keep my commands, and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. 
And, in all your getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honour when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you. And Proverbs 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. The story of Rehoboam and his rash and unwise decision to impose more conscripted labour on his people is a sad event in the life of the kingdom of Israel. The king sought counsel from two groups of advisers, but his final decision to follow the counsel of less experienced young men his own age brought a catastrophe on the kingdom that his father Solomon and grandfather David had built during the preceding eighty years. The advice that the king should intimidate the crowd by declaring that he is tougher than his father was foolish counsel. The young advisers believed that to be sympathetic of the people's demands for less rigorous labour was not the leadership style the king should adopt. He should, they said, present himself as ruthless and cruel instead. In the end, he showed himself to be a bully and undeserving of his people's allegiance and faithfulness. Hence, a division occurred among God's people that never should have been there, and that was never God's plan for his people. Wednesday, October 10, Schism in Corinth Unfortunately, the issue of disunity among God's people didn't end even in New Testament times. For example, the first four chapters of Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians are an appeal for unity. While in Ephesus, Paul heard that various divisions had erupted in the church at Corinth. Thus, he begins his letter with a lengthy address on church unity and the need to avoid schism. Paul is concerned about this development and he seeks to provide inspired counsel to remedy this unfortunate situation. Question. According to 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 through to 17, what seems to have been the cause of disunity of their divisions and quarrels. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you, Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Paulus, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other, 
For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Paul became concerned for his brothers and sisters in Corinth when someone from Chloe's people told him about the divisions and quarrels among them. His opening words showed the depth of his concern. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. His solution was to remind them that, as Christians, they were to be joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Whatever exactly was causing this contention and division, Paul wanted it stopped. Paul reminds the Corinthians that Christians are called to follow Christ, not a human being, however talented or gifted or called that person may be. While they seem to have divided themselves along party lines, the Apostles stated unequivocally that such divisiveness was not according to Christ's will. He asserted that Christian unity is centred on Christ and his sacrifice on the cross in verse 13. Christian unity finds its source in the truth as it is found in Jesus Christ and him crucified, and in no one else, no matter how worthy a mentor or preacher or leader that person might be. At the foot of the cross, we are all on the same level ground. Our baptism is into Jesus, who alone can cleanse us from sin. However, we must work toward this unity in Christ in practical ways. What this should say to us is that, as Seventh-day Adventists, we cannot take for granted our unity of faith and mission. Divisions and quarrels can undermine the unity of the Church today, unless the love of the Lordship of Christ unites us to Him. And so to finish today, how can we learn to avoid the kind of dangers that Paul was dealing with here? Why must we always be careful about how much loyalty we give to any person other than Christ? Thursday, October 11. Wolves will come. Question. Read Acts chapter 20, verses 25 to 31. What did Paul warn the Ephesian elders about? What were they to do to prevent this from happening? Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 25. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, day and night, with tears. During his ministry, Paul often faced opposition. 
and he knew that it would be difficult to preserve the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his farewell to the Ephesian elders, he drew from the watchman analogy in Ezekiel 33 verses 1 to 6 to tell fellow leaders that they also were responsible for safeguarding the gospel. Ezekiel 33 1 to 6 reads, Again the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people, and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory, and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head." He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand." They were to be faithful shepherds of their congregations. Paul's use of the expression savage wolves to describe false teachers in Acts 20 verse 29 is reminiscent of Jesus' similar warning that false teachers would guise themselves in sheep's clothing in Matthew 7 verse 15. These false teachers did arise soon after Paul spoke this warning and they preyed upon believers in the Asian churches that he had established. In Ephesians 5, 6-14 and Colossians 2, verse 8, we see some of Paul's warnings to churches in Asia Minor. First of all, Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret." But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And Colossians 2 verse 8, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. In his second epistle to Timothy, Paul also warns Timothy, who is responsible for the church at Ephesus, against errors in the church and godlessness in the last days. Question. Read Second Timothy chapter 2 verses 14 to 19 and chapter 3 verses 12 through to 17. What does Paul say to Timothy about how to counter false teachers and to preserve the unity of the church? 
First of all, 2 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And in chapter 3 of Second Timothy, beginning at verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. First, Timothy should know his Bible, rightly dividing the word of truth, as in 2 Timothy 5 verse 15. The antidote to these useless disputes and speculations is to correctly understand and teach the word given by God. The truths of the Bible must be rightly interpreted so that no part of the scriptures will be set in opposition to the entire picture presented in the Bible, and also to prevent misinterpretations that may cause one to lose faith in Jesus. Irrelevancies and secondary issues are to be subordinated to the principles of God's word that actually will prepare believers to live a victorious life in Christ. Paul's second recommendation is for Timothy himself to shun profane and idle babblings in 2 Timothy 2 verse 16. Trivial and speculative topics are not to be part of Timothy's teaching ministry if he is to be considered a worthy and faithful minister. These types of conversations lead only to more ungodliness and do not edify the faith of believers, as expressed in 2 Timothy 2.16. Truth alone leads to godliness and harmony among believers. The reason Timothy must avoid and urge his people to avoid such errors is that they sweep through the church like a disease, as he said in verse 17 of chapter 2. In the end, Obedience to the word of God is the antidote to false teachings that could threaten the unity of the church. And so to finish the day, how can we, as a church, protect ourselves from similar kinds of people who, through false teachings, could bring divisions among us? Friday, October 12.
Ellen White writes in Gospel Workers, page 483, The Lord desires His chosen servants to learn how to unite in harmonious effort. It may seem to some that the contrast between their gifts and the gifts of a fellow labourer is too great to allow them to unite in harmonious effort. But when they remember that there are varied minds to be reached and that some will reject the truth as it is presented by one labourer only to open their hearts to God's truth as it is presented in a different manner by another labourer, they will hopefully endeavour to labour together in unity. Their talents, however diverse, may all be under the control of the same spirit. In every word and act, kindness and love will be revealed, and as each worker fills his appointed place faithfully, the prayer of Christ for the unity of his followers will be answered, and the world will know that these are his disciples. And that brings us to our discussion questions for this week. Number one, the question of doing what is right in one's own eyes is nothing new. Postmodernism, which challenges the idea of any one central or overarching intellectual or moral authority, could potentially pave the way for the kind of moral anarchy that the Bible warns about. How do we as Christians, and as a church as a whole, confront this kind of challenge? Two, reflect on the story of King Rehoboam that we read earlier this week and the division of Israel. What lessons are there for us today? Three, what can church leaders and members do to help prevent strife and cliques in a local church? How important is it to stop these issues before they grow and fester? How can we as church members be careful not to fall into the trap that some did in Corinth? And four, Study the context of the passage on Discord in Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19. What do you learn from this to prevent discord in your local church? Proverbs 6 will begin at verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes, he shuffles his feet, he points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. And to summarise this week's lesson. In the Bible, we find situations that led to disunity. When God's people lived in faithful obedience, the dangers of disunity were greatly diminished. Bad decisions from the time of the judges, as well as from the reign of Rehoboam, opened the door for division. Even in New Testament times, the potential for disunity remained. A proper understanding of God's word and the sanctified effort to obey it are the best protection against disunity and schism among us. Inside Story 
Our mission story this week is titled Adventist Sang, Priest Cursed, and it's by Elvis Dimitru. And Elvis Dimitru is a nice photograph of him here uh, with his tie and his shirt and his suit, and he's the associate pastor of the Kusa Voda Seventh-day Adventist Church in Bucharest. Well, let's start our story. I am a pastor because my grandfather, a lifelong Orthodox believer, endorsed the Seventh-day Adventist Church. As my grandfather was growing old, he spoke to my father in their home in Ratasiti, a small village in Romania. If you ever want to belong to the only true Christian church, you have to go to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, said my grandfather, Gershazi Dimitru. Those words planted a seed that led my father Aurelian to seek out the Adventist Church and be baptised in communist-era Romania. As a result, I grew up in an Adventist home, and my brother and I are both Adventist pastors. But how did my grandfather know about Adventists? The story goes back to the early 1960s in Ruteski, located about 85 miles, 135 kilometres, north of Romania's capital, Bucharest. Only eight or so Adventists lived in the village, and the authorities ordered their arrest amid a crackdown on religion. A driver was called to transport the Adventists to jail by horse and cart. As the cart shook and swayed on a bumpy dirt road, the prisoners began to sing hymns in the back. The driver listened, surprised at the beautiful words about Jesus and his love. He thought, how can these Adventists sing with such joy when they are going to jail? About a week later, the driver was called to take the village's Orthodox priest to his church. The cart struck a pothole en route to the church, and the priest angrily unleashed a torrent of blasphemies. The driver listened in shock. He thought, why is the priest cursing his God for a pothole as he goes to church? And why did those Adventists sing such beautiful songs of praise to Jesus as they went to jail? The two incidents left a deep impression on the driver, and he determined to learn more about the Adventists. After a while, he was baptised into the Adventist church. The driver was a good friend of my grandfather's. Ritesti remains a small village today, but has a strong Adventist presence, with about 40 church members. We often think that people are not interested in what we are doing, but people are always watching. A cart of Adventist prisoners didn't know that a driver was listening in awe to their songs of praise, and that their faithfulness would shape two generations of Adventists in my family. Thank you, Pastor Elvis Dimitru age 26. And I trust that you're enjoying these lessons. As I read, I try to imagine who might be listening. Where are they in the world? Are they in a suburb of the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia? Are they in Puerto Rico? Are they in Trinidad? Uh, are they in North America? Are they in Europe or Africa? Are they in Brazil? Are they watching what Claudio Carnero puts together with this podcast, with his visual scrolling of the text of the lesson in sync with my voice on YouTube. I don't know where you are, but wherever you are, I would like to think that what we're producing is of benefit to you, whether you use it for morning worship, whether it's something you listen as you're driving or walking or going for a jog or working. May God bless you 
And may God bless each of us as we come towards unity, remembering that God is always faithful. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.